Greetings, SE land. This is Twig. Anthony Twig Wheeler here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is an audio archive made specifically for somatic experiencing students and practitioners, people out there that are studying the psychobiological literature and somatic healing arts, the polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges or the work of Peter Levine, somatic experiencing, or even Stephen Hoskinson, organic intelligence and all of the rest of the alphabet soup of the somatic therapies out there. I'm an advocate and I've created this podcast to share some thoughts and reflections on the process of thinking about these things for a whole lot of time, talking about it with folks like yourself. Here I am doing that on episode 93, where we're going to kind of look into our sessions. When I say that, I think of SE style, somatic experiencing style sessions as more or less, I kind of understand them after hanging out with folks around the world all this time. And this time I'd like to look into the session at moments that we have the desire to linger, to kind of hold the moment, protect the moment, as we said in an earlier episode, number 62. When we guard the moment, when we try to linger, when we try to hold on to things, when we try to let things stay this way for another moment or two, or kind of pay more attention to this. And when we move on, when we see that this is not anything for us to pay more attention to, that one more moment here just holds us in the pit of repair for the next 45 minutes or leads us into some wayward kind of feeling state or behavior, and we'd really rather move on from it before that develops any further. So we'd like to move on. Sometimes we'd like to linger and other times we'd like to move on. And in this episode, I'd like to look at some of the some of the dynamics behind all of that. You know, so much of this really comes down to the sense of rhythm and the importance of rhythm in our sessions. There's rhythm in the back and forth between our questions and our clients' responses or our clients' commentary and our conversation, the back and forth of contact between us. There's the rhythm of a client's attention inside of their experience and outside of their experience, outside of their experience, either inside of the conversation with us or in kind of taking in the present moment of the space that they're in right now, kind of looking around at the room that they're in right now, or kind of coming back to orientation and this place, the rhythm between that out and in attention, there's all these kind of places, of course, that we see the sense of pendulation. And it's the rhythm of that. I don't know. So I just said it's the rhythm of that. One important element of our sessions is the cultivation of the rhythm of these things. The rhythm can be wayward, can be herky jerky, it can become cultivated. It can be something that starts out as a rough hewn cube. And we slowly chip away at its edges until it becomes a polished sphere and things roll around in the session super smoothly. And as long as we don't try to take off one corner too quickly, we don't need to make too big a change at once. We can help to smooth things out and get the rhythm moving more or less appropriately to have the places where we want to, in this case, linger and have the places where we want to be able to move on, have all of that happen smoothly. Rhythm, it's a big background thing in all of our sessions. And one way to cultivate it is how we place or don't place our attention. Like in episode 43 on the formula, where we were talking about that as we're following a narrative, we can still lean the pendulum or help the pendulum to swing, help pendulation to happen by leaning our attention on certain parts of the narrative so that as the conversation or the kind of storyline takes the turn toward things that are not needing more attention, not needing more reinforcement, the trauma vortex or red vortex kind of material, that's already reinforced enough. So we tend to ask questions that could trend us through that material, like what happened next? And, oh yeah, so... 
that's what happened then. And then what happened after that? So we can ask questions to try to continue the storytelling moving forward through that material. Whereas when we see things that are more efficacious and positive and self-protective and generally like healing vortex or counter vortex or blue vortex and all of that kind of like, oh, that's a little bit better. That has a little bit more positivity to it. We can lean in with our questions where we ask things like, oh, really? Can you tell me more about that? Or, oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, what what did that look like? What what did that moment right there, what did that, tell me some kind of detail from that. We can enter into trying to get a little bit more attention to things that probably get less attention naturally because of the native attention, you know, attraction to the red vortex, trauma vortex kind of stuff. And so we can lend our awareness, our attention over on the blue side a bit more when we're following through the narrative, never trying to hold on to that. You know, as soon as they're going back over to the red, there's no need to try to stay over on the blue, as it were. We might just ride over to the red, continuing to follow the formula that we're more or less pacing along and accompanying people on the red for this example. And we're more or less leaning and trying to get just a little bit more linger in the blue side. And as soon as it's not going to hold, we just kind of pendulate back over to the red and we can flow through the narrative more adroitly, more smoothly, more kind of helpfully, because it has that sense of pendulation and some momentum in it, rather than hitting a red vortex element, like the bad moment and talking about the bad moment that leads to more of the bad feeling. And I just kind of get stuck and overwhelmed by that. In that way, we can guide the rhythm of sessions by how we place our attention. And now that, that was in the example of looking for pendulation, but the exact same kind of thing is true in getting the rhythm of contact with a person's felt sense experience as per like the attention inward, where at times we might want to either move on or linger longer and having the attention come outward in that kind of out in out kind of pattern that described earlier is one of the ways that we can see rhythm in our sessions, the person's contact with their felt sense experience and their reorientation to the space room conversation around them. That pattern can truly be elicited, cultivated by how we, you and I, in our role as practitioners, place our attention, what quality of attention we give things, and based on the accuracy of our feedback, as we described in episode 41 on the clarity of feedback. So knowing when to linger and when to move on, these, these have everything to do with kind of rounding out and smoothing out our sessions, you know? So what is the phenomena of lingering? You know, okay, well, let's, let's do moving on first. Now moving on, it's it's the kind of thing that you do at Disneyland when the ride is over. There's, there's no question. The ride finishes and you are not to linger. You are hasta pronto. You are out of here. It's nobody is going to be rude to you. There's no attendant that's going to get out of broom and kind of bat you out of the seats to make you move faster. But you are going to move on. And you can see how there's a certain rush to it, but it's all very polite. That's moving on. There's guidance to it, but it's more or less free form. You can do it at your own pace. Now you can imagine that the Disneyland attendants are really well trained for this and that they have ways, lines probably, that they've been given in order to help encourage people to move forward, how to, you know, kind of clear out the seats for the ride so that the next people can come through. Because there is no question, like at the meta level there, Disneyland is thinking about how many people move through the ride inside of a 15-minute window or a half-hour or an hour window, how many people move on and how you can move people on smoothly and effectively without annoying them or making them feel uncomfortable. When we're thinking about moving on, we might want to think about helping people move on from a ride at Disneyland where we're not trying to get them mad at the Golden Kingdom and all the 
nicety therein and give them the feeling that they're on their own volition, but yet there is no question at Disneyland you are moving on because there's somebody there who's got just the right thing to say to you to help you see that the entire thing is about you moving on. Now, lingering has a completely different tone. In its most hopeful phase, it's kind of like a timeless thing. In reality, it's usually accompanied by a near constant calculation of how much time you have left. But in its most hopeful sense, it's, it's timeless. There's no rush. There's no need to move on. There's no instruction to move on. You're lingering. And when the calculation finally falls away and you're not doing that time obsession of how much more time do we have here, there can be this sense to lingering that is essentially eternal. There's nothing like meeting a new friend or a colleague or a potential lover and enjoying the contact so much that you just lose sight of what kind of time you're in and you're just lingering. When that happens, you know this is something special. This is something important. Lingering. On one side, you're just kind of like there, oh, man, really taking it in. Okay, short of that, you're, you're there trying to take it in and you don't want to let go of it, but you're calculating how much more time you have. On the far other side, there's kind of like moving on. It's not all the way to the far, far other side. There's, there's like a subset of the far other side of moving on. There's like a sub-issue with moving on, you know. Um, <laughs> it comes to mind, it's, it reminds me of a deadhead joke you know who the Grateful Dead were, you know, and then there were these people, the deadheads, they were kind of like a, a subculture tribe, you know, folks that had adopted a particular lifestyle where they would follow around this band, the Grateful Dead. And there was a joke amongst some of us that said, how do you know when a deadhead has come to visit? Well, they're still there. Yeah, well, at that point, you know, that, they're not lingering, they're kind of malingering, and they haven't moved on, they really haven't gotten the message, they're staying too long, they're overstaying. And frankly, around the time that it's gone on too long, it's about the time to notice this isn't right, and to do something to help things move along. We've got overstaying, moving on, calculating how much time we can get out of this, and then moving into a a kind of timeless allowance for the moment, a lingering in just the goodness that is here. It's a kind of a scale, right? I mean, you know, they're all associated in some way and we could play with them and we will. And on the way there, I think I'll tell you a story. I was at a park years back with a couple young friends, young as in 10 years and younger, and we would play a lot together. I was close with the family. And we were there on a kind of rainy day, wet concrete at the park. This was Olympia, Washington. So there's a lot of, a lot of water when you go outside. Well, we were out there playing. And uh, these, these kids were kind of rough, particularly the sister. Could, um, she could get into a fret and kind of go off. I'd say she'd go off. She'd just do things that you don't expect and don't make sense, well, she'd go off. And one thing she did was she went off on her brother. And I was there to watch this happen. We were right above this waterfall area in Olympia, in the park, beautiful place, one of my favorite places. And in this park-like setting, us, the only people there outside of the entryway into the waterfall area, she, this young gal came up behind her brother and pulled the back of his jacket, pulled the hood right back of his jacket, which caused him to fall down. He hit pretty hard. He didn't know it was going to happen. Like I said, she just kind of went off and he fell hard. It hurt. It stunned him. It definitely fell into the category of a kind of an attack, right? Uh, a real autonomic response was generated from this. And I was right there just a few feet away, saw it happen, and saw him come to, 
get a little sense of where he was on the ground and move in order to jump up and take off clearly with a kind of grit of fight coming up inside of him to chase his sister and go attack her in return, which you could kind of understand. And at the same time, it's not at all what we need or what we want in that situation. We need him to, frankly, we need him to linger. We need him to linger right there on the ground. So I quickly slid in next to him and he was laying at that point, I guess he was on his back. He was on his back and he lifted from his belly. So his shoulders were coming off the ground and I brought my hand down to support or frankly, to kind of hold back a little bit his rising action from his shoulders. So my hand kind of was there when his shoulder came up for his shoulder to press against my hand and find that it wasn't easy for him to continue to sit up. And right around the time that we made contact, I said, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. We'll just take a moment right here. It's okay. It's okay. We'll just take a moment right here. And, you know, more or less, I kind of pressed him back down to the ground, but also more or less, his body just felt this thing in the way and pretty easily gave up underneath the effort. Because as much as there was the impulse for him to get up and take off running, there was just as much the impulse for him to sit there and lay there on the ground a little stunned. And my hand being there, somewhat inhibiting the first path of getting up to fight, gave, gave him a little bit of permission, it seemed to me, to kind of just go into laying on the ground. And my line, yeah, you know, we're just going to take a moment here. And he did. It was so, so nice. I, I don't know, maybe a few of you heard me say this story before. It's like we all collect our stories of when we've seen somatic experiencing the kind of thing that we're looking for in our sessions, this very, very, very stereotypical mammalian completion process of the autonomic stress response. Very, very stereotypical right after a stressor with enough safety and time and permission for the process to unfold, you very frequently see people shaking out or trembling out or some kind of like heat flush and, you know, these kind of autonomic shifts. Well, this young boy with my, me sitting there next to him, his sister having run off, he sat there and trembled for a moment or two. We lingered. You know, and I was sitting there thinking to myself, how long is this going to last? How long is this going to last? And somewhere in there, he dropped into it, and that was the thing that was happening. And I could let go of some of that question. You know, some of that question we were looking at in episode 72 on letting down in the presence of another. It's like for a moment there, he kind of let down and he was just letting it happen. He was just kind of trembling, laying on the wet concrete. And I was just sitting there saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we have all the time we need, mm-hmm, and we were lingering, and I let go of the calculation at some point because he was doing it and he was letting it happen until finally he kind of like sat up, he sat up much more gently, wasn't with that fight, he sat up, he looked around, you'd expect him to look around, wouldn't you? I expected him to look around. He looked around and reoriented and he stood up and he said, I'm okay now. And he walked off back into kind of play inside of our family scene there next to the river rather than back into the fight. And while it's a perfect story for talking about after the accident, which is going to come up in a future episode. And it's a perfect story to look at other different kinds of things inside of all of this. It's something that was coming to mind when I was thinking about like, when, when do you see lingering happen just like it's supposed to, without much effort, without having to get super nuanced about how you shave off all the disruptions inside of a session to get things to move smoothly? When does it just work well? And 
One way, one place that I've seen it work very, very well in the sense of like, oh yeah, this is the amount of time that this takes. We can be here for this amount of time, the amount of time that this takes. One place that that can be seen, I think, frequently is in the deactivation phase of a spontaneous stressor that somebody lets themselves experience the deactivation phase for. Of course, most of us don't. We move on from stressors right away. We we get some kind of you know kerfuffle and some bristle, and we try to quell that and move on from it rather than feel the extent and the oddity of the settling process that is likely to come or is wanting to come. And when we can drop into letting that happen, it's it's often a very lingering kind of thing. I wanted to share that story before moving on and saying, you know, in our sessions, there's different questions, different places that we're needing to come up with something, something that I, I'll, I'll name a couple of them. I'm not saying I know all of them, but a few that come to my mind. It's like, one is that there's just the discernment in our sessions. There are all these moments where it's like, should we stay here longer? Should we move on? Should I ask another question? Should I wait here longer? Should we, should we stay on this thread? Should we keep with this feeling? Should we already be doing something else there? That question, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it, but I just kind of keep that question going. I don't attach myself to it because it's always needing to be updated. How about now? Should we stay here longer now? Oh, how about now? Should we stay here? Long? Oh, should we move on by now? Now? So there's this discernment and there are to be true for sure. There are places where that discernment is more readily available and accessible and important to make accurate. So there are choice points inside of our sessions that we either try to help things move forward, help things move along, or keep them, try to, oh, no, no, well, let's just take another moment here and see if we can't drop into lingering here. Then there's the question of the range of our response to allow us to be successful at helping people move on, maybe particularly when they they want to hang out somewhere or stick with something or refocus on something and we kind of want to move them along, then there'll be some intervention and invitation and direction that we'll be giving. And we need that to be as successful as possible so that we're like the nice people at Disneyland rather than getting out the broom and whacking them and feeling like we disrupt the session or they feel disrupted by our way of redirecting their attention. On the other hand, how we get the sensitivity to help people linger. It's another thing, like some people want to keep going and we want to slow things down. And sometimes we just stand out in the middle of, in the front of a freight train that's running away and we say, stop, let's slow this down. Let's just wait right here. Let's just linger right here. And our clients are like, who are you? What are you talking about? I was already out of the gates here. Like I was the steam has been going since I got in my car on my way to your office and you want me to stop all of a sudden? It just doesn't match. And so there will be these ranges by which we enter into the process of trying to steer the rhythm between us and our clients and between our client's attention where it's going that will kind of lean toward lingering in or lean toward moving on, and there'll be a scale. Sometimes we'll be right in line with that, and it'll be really smooth. And sometimes, frankly, we're going to miss it. And, you know, it's within the grace of how much rapport we have in the session to kind of clean it up, and that sometimes we make mistakes and we have to, as well as you can't do this right all the time. At that, there'll be sometimes that you just have to tell people to stop, because it's the only clinically relevant thing to do or tell people to move because it's the only clinically relevant thing to do. And when that happens and you're at that kind of directive guidance level, I think you're probably just doing the thing that needs to be done. There's sensitivity, however, there's a whole range by which we can encourage people's attention to move on or to linger. And then there's the authority that's necessary for you, you, my dear listener, myself too, there's the 
authority necessary, like the need to claim the authority or to find the authority or, I don't know, maybe your certificate on your wall is going to grant you the authority. My imagination is that it grows and it develops and eventually you claim the authority to say, oh, I know when to choose the desire, the clinical direction, the clinically relevant desire to have us linger here longer and see how much we can get out of that or to have us move on from here faster so that we don't spend any more time here. We have to be able to claim the authority to say, I know more or less when to choose that and I know more or less how to lean my attention in order to support my client following my direction with that successfully so that we don't end up with a rub I have the authority to do that, to recognize that smoothing out the rhythm of our contact and of their attention with their experience is actually, that's part of what people pay me for. And that's part of what people pay you for. And that's part of our job and our profession. And so, you know, developing the library of experience and the thought process and the feelings behind, oh, this is lasting too long. I need to move us on. Oh, this is something golden and they're ready to move. And I need to come up with something that will help them to stay right here. And I have the authority to kind of go against their expectations in the moment and follow along with my invitation all the way down to redirection, all the way down to pure insistence. As you might imagine, All of that's progressive. I think so, at least. We develop these skills over time. We figure these things out over time. And our contact with our clients, if we work it progressively too, will probably be more effective and successful. If we're not trying to get the perfect rhythm, the perfect amount of attention each time from the very beginning, I know how long you should feel inside now. Instead, if we're just feeling into it, like, oh, they're ready to move on okay, does that feel like something that I would like us to linger in a little bit more or stay longer? It is. I wonder if if I can just pace out the transition a tiny little bit so as to be progressive that we're going to lean into the places that need a little bit more lingering. And rather than insisting we stay, I am in fact going to turn with the fact that you're asking for your attention to move forward. So I'm going to join you, but I'm, I'm going to just... Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Tell me, tell me more. That was really interesting though. Okay. So maybe we could come back to that. Anyway, so what else were we, were you wanting to talk to me about? It's like, there will be times when we'll just, we'll just inch our way into lingering or inch our way into moving on faster. And that's a progressive thing for us to help kind of shape people's pacing of their attention and contact with things over time. Well then, There are choice points in our sessions, places that we have to decide, is this this somewhere to linger longer? Is this somewhere to move on from? And while you and I, on this podcast, Twigs SEO Reflections, we have a contract that I'm not going to be exhaustive. I'm not going to try to name all of those choice points. Can you imagine? No, not going to happen. But what could happen is I I could name a few of those because I can see a few for sure. And we'll do that right after a quick message from our sponsor. Do you wonder if you linger longer than you should or find yourself moving on from social engagements prematurely because you're not quite sure if you're reading the social cues from your friends, colleagues, and family accurately? Sure, you could spend a buttload on therapy, and maybe you need to, but maybe you just need more myelin, particularly, that is, myelin along the nerves of your nucleus-ambiguous-influenced ventral vagal complex, which is the subsystem of your autonomic nervous system that both controls your ability to signal social cues and read them accurately in other people. You see, myelin acts as a superconductor insulative material on the nerve fibers of the ventral vagal complex, which allows for refined communication between the brain and special and general visceral efferents of the ventral vagal complex, including the regulatory action on the vagal break at the sinoatrial node of the heart, which acts with an arrhythmic constraining influence on the pace of the sinoatrial node signaling into the heart 
It's as simple as the more myelin, the more regulatory control the ventral vagal has over the pitter-patter of your heart. What you might not realize yet, but which is scientifically, theoretically verifiable, is that when you're in angst about accurately sending or reading social cues that would tell you if you should linger or move on, your heart is most certainly skipping a beat or two, racing a little faster, maybe even going too, 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 too slow as if you were unnecessarily influenced by the sympathetic or dorsal vagal subsystems of the autonomic nervous system instead of the ventral vagal complex social engagement system as you should be since, hey, you're in a social situation. Well, of course, as your heart skips a beat, that essentially says your vagal break isn't coming on and off fast enough. Sure, there's other parts to this, but functionally, this is an issue of myelin. You should get the myelinator. There's no need to misread social cues. Just get more myelin. The, the myelinator. myelinator. Now available. www.liberationispossible.org backslash myelinator. That's M-Y-E-L-I-N-A-T-O-R. The, the myelinator. myelinator. Totally rebranded, trademark, copyrighted, age-old technology. The Myelinator. Patent pending. Okay, a few choice points for lingering or moving on. And maybe a little bit about how we help things linger or move on. Well, here's one. You know, you've you worked your way through toward maybe something like the first felt sense activation cycle investigation. You know, I don't know what method you are going to use to get there, but at some point... You're asking your client to feel something that has the sense of arousal to it, activation to it, like something's lit up. And you ask them to feel it and to hang out with it. You choose your language. Maybe you say something like, okay, as you notice that feeling of everything being up, maybe I'll just ask you if you can just let yourself feel that for a moment you can just feel it the way that it is, neither trying to make it more or trying to make it less. Just let it feel that way that it is and be curious as you feel it, what does it do? Does it stay exactly the same or does it change in some way? And your client takes to that and they do it. They kind of start tracking, you know. You know, this is, this is a, a, a thing. At the edge of the moment that they pendulate back toward deactivation, where things that were rising turn and say, that's like a little bit less. Oh, that's the threshold of, of no longer rising action. And now there's the potential for turning toward deactivation, resolving action, you know, calming down. Right at that cusp, there's this... The, one is there's the desire for feedback right there to say like, yeah, notice that moment. But then right afterwards at the deactivation side, there could be this neon sign going off in your in your purview. I don't know where. It's like right above your client's head. And it has it has like these blinking, really bright, blinking neon sign that says linger or move on. And if you were going to linger, you would just let the deactivation come on and happen of its own. You know, you'd, you'd be like, right, okay, and anyway, so can I ask, uh, what do you notice now? And your client might come back and say like, oh, I just, I noticed that feeling is like, it's really quieting down and it's like starting to settle. And you could linger into that, you know, you could be like, oh, right, well, you notice it's starting to settle, why don't you go ahead and... Just take a moment and really allow that to happen. Allow yourself to notice yourself settling. Any way that you notice that, go ahead and notice that. You might choose any little phrase to encourage them to like kind of ride that settling down. Now that's it's kind of like one side of it, like whether or not you linger, right? On the other side is maybe you move on and we climb right back up to that moment where your neon sign is going off and it's saying, do I linger or do I move on? They've just had this activation cycle and it just showed the first signs of decreasing. 
and not not continuing to reinforce more activation. It turned and gave a difference. Who is this person? What have I seen about them in the past? How, how much evidence do I have for deactivation in their lives? They're in here as my client. Are they in here because there's very little signal of deactivation that they ride, that they experience? Is this a new thing? Did we just do a new thing? These are questions. Did we just do a new thing? Did we just feel the activation and pay attention to that and stay with it long enough that when it got to its apogee, its threshold, it started to come down and there's a little bit somehow in here, there's an appreciation of that having happened. If this is a rare event, if this is a first time event, if this is something that you maybe thought was unlikely to happen because this person doesn't maybe pendulate very much, you know, they don't have activation, deactivation experiences very often. They have activation, 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 kind of explosion or collapse patterns happening more often. If this is a novelty, if this is a big first moment, why not be progressive about this? Don't linger there. You linger there and they feel the deactivation one, two seconds later, the activation comes right back and they're off to the races again, but now they're already elevated. And so your second round of pendulation is already taking things much higher. No, no, I mean, I don't, I'm just telling you what to do now. I don't want to tell you what to do, but at that choice point with that neon sign going off, if this is a new thing, if you just are getting the pattern of activation, deactivation, particularly if you're following what I would be following like a activation deactivation orientation pattern i would just hit that first deactivation sign and say like all oh, right right so you notice that you notice that something's a little different huh oh cool well you know at, at the same time as you notice that something it's not as up it's like a little bit not as up maybe maybe this is a moment i could just invite you um, to um, maybe maybe do that thing again that we were doing before, which is probably true for me at least. I would have done this with people before. I would have already established the pattern of orientation. And at that point, I would lean on it. I'd be like, right, maybe, um, maybe we just uh, take a look around the room now. And this would be, you know, an issue of continuous or intermittent tracking, as we talked about in episode 34, And it's also an issue of lingering or moving on. And that's a choice point for that question. Do I want to linger into this deactivation or do we want to move on from paying attention to the internal experience? Because if we stay much longer, we're going to end up moving back into the next round of pendulation, which will include more activation. It'll just like kind of go back up again. A lot of our clients experience a little bit of deactivation and then they go back up again. And so we don't want to linger in the deactivation should it lead to a re-escalation of the activation rather than a discrete round of activation, deactivation, reorientation. And that pattern, trying to set up that rhythm in the session of like things happen, things settle, there's space from things. We feel things, they move us, they felt something like settle out of themselves, and now we're able to come back into the present tense, this moment, with some separation between the waves of feeling and the waves of movement and the waves of different pain cycles, but we have some separation between all of this kind of signal. And so right there, at the beginning, when we're first initiating our process with people, it's great if we can make the discernment with a big, right now, the first sign of deactivation on the first experience of activation, deactivation of a round of pendulation, you know, it's like things coming up and now there's a little tiny sense of it coming down. At that moment, we could linger because we just see that they're ready to do it. They don't need our interruption. They're able to feel and just really settle and take it all in. Or we can look down the spectrum and see, you know what? Any moment now, this will 
this will get wonky again and get wobbly again. And I could close this as a discrete experience and move us on. That was one little ride. Let's see what happens next. Further along is sessions become, you know, not to say they become more successful, but the patterns, uh, like, you know, like the pendulation pattern and the activation cycle pattern and the activation, deactivation, orientation, reorientation, like the general tone of the session, the question and answer, the, the course of therapy gets set and you start to develop some rhythm between you and your client. Or you just have somebody come in and they're just ready. They just really, their organism is super primed for the process. Or maybe you're super, 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 super seasoned. And you can meet just about anybody who comes in at the right level and kind of get their involvement and investment very close to right away. Some combination of all of that gets you to a place where sessions are kind of aggregating experience and things are settling out. You know, it's like there's a real charge that can be felt in the body. It truly turns the head or raises the pulse or clenches the fist or tightens the jaw. It, in fact, kind of feels like pulling in to the very center farther than you could possibly physically go, but you can still allow the feeling of it going as far as it needs to go. There could be any of these different ways that the pendulations aggregate to where they move behavior in the felt sense of experience. Generally, we talk about that as like completing self-protective responses, you know? Well, on the backside of those, when they hit a larger deactivation, you know, maybe as we're growing, building that up, there'll be times actually where you'll be wondering, do I settle this all the way down or do we let this settle? Do we linger in the settling enough that it's kind of like settled and then we continue on with the story the related other movements, the other content or kind of whatever is in the pulse of the session. In other words, we have a big thing. It's got real charge behind it. We're going to do maybe a first round. We do that first round and we start to deactivate. And then there's the question, do we linger in this? Do we linger in this deactivation and like spend five minutes longer, 40 minutes longer, like just... Do we like try to let this one settle out as far and as deep and as expansive as it could go? Or do we notice that like, okay, things are settled enough and we still have this storyline ahead of us. Let's move on. Do we linger or do we move on? And when we're running the T series, like the time series, we're going along the storyline and we we pause the storyline, we see some element of activation, you know, it's like the next moment of the story of an accident and and you can see the charge come forward at the next explanation of what happened next. And we, we see that activation. We say, okay, we don't need any more activation than that. We've already got enough there. So we'll pause the story, ask into that, find out that there's like a f- physical somatic response happening. We'll be able to pull the attention into that. Oh, how do you notice that? Oh, you notice it this way. Oh, it feels that way. Oh, okay. Can you let that be itself? You know, you get observational sufficiency, they're paying attention to it, they'll feel it, and it starts to change, it starts to settle. And you think to yourself, do we linger in this settling? Or do we go back into the story? Do we pick up where the story just left off? Or do we just kind of like let this one settle down as far as it needs to go? Now, I don't know the answer to this because it's a question. You have to ask that question each time. Sometimes you're like, okay, whew, we got through that one and we got this real genuine settling. Wow, if we could settle here that much more, we could separate this moment from the rest of the content for, I don't know, five minutes more, 10 minutes more, a longer period of time, and we could get more uncoupling of all these overcoupled elements that were 
so, I mean, it was crushing before we got this deactivation wave. I mean, I might try to linger in here and just kind of like prime for suggestions of how we just kind of let this take all the time it needs and kind of even lay back myself and kind of encourage more settling and spaciousness. And even if the storyline starts to come back up, might join with the storyline a moment and be like, yeah, all right, that's interesting. And I think we want to look at that again in another moment. And I was just curious, like, you know, we were talking a moment ago and come back to some element that had been established as this is the experience of settling and come back. And how is that going anyway? Like that leaning back into the chair, how's that been now that we've kind of been letting that happen? Even if it gets banal for a moment, there could be value. You don't want to make it rude, not trying to hold you back from getting on your ride. And at the same time, we might put a little breaking action to try to help people, encourage people to linger in that settling a little bit more before going on to the next story element, particularly if what we've seen before is that this is a big deal that what we just got to hear was a good thing and maybe we should not reinforce the other thing too quickly. That could be one example. Or maybe it is time to move on and maybe even we can see that it's time to move on. One of the choicest lines, most common lines that I could think of right here is just to share. I'm sure you you must say this because it's like, right. So it's uh, it's lighter now, huh? Oh, it's quieter now. Oh, it's it's not as loud now. Uh huh. Well, what do you say? Okay, if we if we go go on, you were you were saying so. Then there was the light, and then what happened next? And you just go right back and pick up a story element, and you and you kind of reset the stage and say what happened next? And you're just kind of moving things on. And there's a certain confidence in your voice. There's certain presence. You're, you're like the attendant at Disneyland. You're ready to usher people on to what comes next. And this will be important because at other parts of the time sequence of the event storyline, you will be leaning toward lingering or leaning toward moving things on and your authority and kind of being clear of like, right, okay, next step, let's do this. What happened next? Tell me the next piece of the story. That last little piece, that last little sequence of activation, deactivation gave you, in this case, the confidence to move forward. Sometimes with that confidence, it worked well. We can move forward and just assume that we get to use the same skills that we just had a moment ago and reproduce them for the next part of the storyline that we'll be able to pause them when the activation is expressed again. They'll be able to feel that activation, notice it transition and change to deactivation. You will then get to decide again. Do we linger in the deactivation? Do we go back to the content? Now, here's a fun one. I said before that sometimes you work all of this quite progressively. Well, there are some people, as you enter into the story, the story's fast, it's fast moving, it's got a lot of action and material, and it's got a lot of demand to be able to tell you the story. Well, you hit one of these deactivation waves. You, you were able to pause the story and able to track and catch a little wave of deactivation, and you were able to establish that that's what had happened. But you felt the tugging at the ropes to tell the whole story. So rather than try to linger now in the deactivation, just go right back into the story. You can feel the, the pull to go back in. Well, just go back into the story. And then on the next round, just lean into the lingering on the deactivation just a tiny little bit more to the point that you can get away with it without having to, you know, make it like we're struggling. They're trying to go and you're trying to hold back, but just lingering a little bit longer until off they go again. And then pow, right before, in my opinion, right before they're going to go off again, go ahead and give them free reign again. Well, anyway, so what happened next? Um, what, what happened after that? You just move the story right along so that there's no conflict with it. And at every point, that you get to lean into what you want to have happen, you can be successful with that and not cause the growl against your intervention if you should clearly need to be moving on. 
These are ways to progressively lengthen over the course of three, four, five entrees into the deactivation side where you can linger a little bit longer. As again, I think we talked about a bit in the episode on letting down in the presence of others, number 72. Now I'm going to move to a whole different place and say that there's a funny way that you can linger on breath. And you can actually kind of move on on breath too, to be honest. In lingering on the breath, there's a way that, you know, with some people, their tendency, we'll say that their sympathetic system has a a bit of an extra drive to it. So they're talk, 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 talk. And it's rare for them to reach in for a breath. There's a there's a lot of power, there's a lot of force, there's a lot of expression coming forward, and there's very little time and space for a full inhale and a kind of independent inhalation and exhalation. There's uncoordinated breathing between speaking and breathing, so there's oftentimes like a kind of a gasping to catch enough breath to race back into kind of the execution of the thought process, you know, and there there are different ways and methodologies and stuff for approaching that. I tend to try to like kind of turn and go with people in that state so that they don't feel affronted by a mismatched or mispaced person. And so if in that case, turning and going with them, there will be moments still where they will take a breath. They have to. They have to breathe. We have to breathe. So they're they're talking, 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 and eventually they're going to take a breath. And they take a quick breath and then they go talking, talking, talking again. And without being obvious about this and without it all being even too contrived about it, more or less trying to let ourselves kind of be in the mirror neuron expression of this, but definitely leaning and you know, slow motion ninja riot, like being able to contain our own organism enough to kind of achieve this goal, something that we can do is more or less match their breath, but linger on the exhale. You can linger too long. You could linger where you would be obtrusive, where you would be noticeable, where you're like taking a big, long sigh, like they take a breath and you take a breath. And then they go on to talking and you're like, yeah, it could be obtrusive or you could just kind of lengthen out their exhale by your mirror of an exhale by say like 2% or 10% or some appropriate amount that's going to get through the guard to where you're able to reflect what a slightly longer pause right there would look like. And it's, it's kind of like requires you to calculate the length of time that you can linger. And it's fun because you need to keep that calculation updated because as you're successful at landing these reflections of what a slightly different rhythm, a slightly more paced out rhythm of speech and breath would be like, you can definitely signal over to people a different rhythm for talking and breathing. And eventually inside of this, you can start to insert sounds where when they take a breath, you can say, "Uh uh-huh. In fact, I should say, that's a good idea anyway. You should be putting words in so as not to get just a runaway train where there's no interaction between the two of you, even if your words are superfluous, even if they have no bearing on what your client's going to do or talk about, if they're talking, 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 they need to be talking, 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 and you need to say, "Uh uh-huh, so that they're talking, 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 and you say, right, tell me more, and they're talking, 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 so that you're at least putting one little step in there every once in a while, and it's not just a monologue, but there's some place where you can start to affect a pattern of dialogue. And in that way, dialoguing at the edge of their breath is a place to do it wherein you can signal a slightly longer breath. So that as they're talking and they're talking and they take that breath and you take the breath and you say, "Uh uh-huh, so then what happened? 
you can indicate this slightly longer stretch on the backside of the breath, including how you do it with your words and how you do it with the phrases that you say. It's like, uh-huh, wow, yeah, totally, I can, I can see it. Uh-huh, so then, uh, so then what happened? Right, so he said that, and then you said that, And then that's when he responded that way. Oh, I get it now. Oh, man, what a scene that is, huh? Well, huh. So, so then what it, what did you say next after that? And you might be able to pace in by lingering on the backside of these little stretching out moments that you insert into a natural breath that they're going to have to take anyway. This is a way that you can kind of get a little bit more space. In fact, you can shape through this to help people get a lot more settling and back and forth between the two of you as um, as you both match their pace at the beginning, usually having to go faster than most of us would want to go, racing along for a time as they're breathing try to mirror those breaths in some kind of minute reflection of like, yep, that's what that looks like. And this is what it could be like if it's just lingered a tiny little bit longer. And as insertion of different kind of question points that kind of encourage them to continue, but they're going to continue anyway. So you're just kind of getting involved. So there's more of a back and forth between the two of you. Now you can start to stretch those out and put the exhale And the sense of lingering just a little bit longer. And I did say before that there's a there's a kind of way that you can keep breath moving along forward. And I I, I'm I'll be reluctant to share it, but I'll I'll say it's like there are people who are very practiced in their breath and are very able to control their sense of their state by organizing a some kind of pattern breathing. And I tend to just move on through those. Like, I don't, I don't want to be rude and I don't want to negate, you know, whatever value they have found in those. And for the work that I'm doing, those things, um, I would, I would say that those were helpful self-care techniques. Um, for some people they have been, so other people, they just kind of prove out how weird things are that they don't work. But then for those that have used it so much that it's become pattern, it's kind of something that I'm just trying to move on from and and give less attention to. It doesn't need much more reinforcement or kudos. Yeah, I'll just say that. So one last choice point where I tend to think about lingering longer and, and actually being progressive about it is with orientation. You know, if you if you try to do a long lingering orientation with somebody who hasn't invested in spending their time looking at things, you know, or a much more effective way to get that lingering kind of investment is that they've settled on the backside of an organic activation cycle and their organism really is seeing things clearer because their ventral vagal complex is more available because the expectation and call toward their sympathetic or dorsal vagal system is lessened, when that sequence comes through, people will linger into orientation much more natively and organically and just naturally on their own. It's just like that boy in the park, like he he sat up and he took a look around. It's a natural expectation at the completion of the stress response for mammals to do this reorientation thing. Well, it's hard to get people, it's kind of like phase inappropriate, as as Stephen Hoskinson used to say, it'd be phase inappropriate to ask people to sit and get really invested in orientation early on in the sequence. Like you might be able to get them a little bit interested and, and to go along for a moment or two. And you might even have to play out how you do that. It might not even be so easy to do. And yet at the same time, it 
can be done. You can get a moment or two of people telling you what they see and of people seeing things around them of moving their head and neck freely of you interacting about the things that you see in the room rather than the stories or the complex or the the uncertainty and confusion about why they're there that has the charge and otherwise would take the attention. Like there is a way to get people from nearly the very beginning. There are lots of ways actually to get people to be there in the room with you and look around. And yet it, it can't be too deep, too fast. It's progressive. You can develop the sense that this has value. You can develop the sense that this is something to reinvest and check out a little bit more. You can come back around to it in rounds and linger in the experience each time you do it so that it becomes more familiar and it doesn't feel too awkward to stay there too long, like we're overstaying. But before we're overstaying, we're able to move the conversation forward or the session back into some other content or whatnot. And so we're not trying to get it to be too profound too quickly. We could be progressive about it. And that's to find at the beginning what's permissible what's acceptable, what's participatory, and then to start to linger into the parts that we want to see longer and longer periods of time being spent. That is one way that I approach all of that. I think that other people do too. You might have your own way about going about things, and that might help you think about your way, and I hope it encourages you as well. Now, as a last one for a choice point, a place not to linger, this is professional opinion, a place not to linger is at the end of sessions, particularly the first and second, first, second, and third session. I feel that it's pretty important to find a intelligent, respectful closure at the end of the first two to three sessions so that you establish the pattern of the session, that this is the time that's allotted to this process together. Now, I'll tell you personally, I don't think that the hour is a great period of time for an SE session, so I like to put extra time in my schedule in case the hour goes over. Not that I think that all sessions should go over, just that I want that extra buffer just in case. At the same time, most sessions can be contained and structured inside of an hour, and that's as strange as it is to me, that's the professional charge of things. And that's that's a good marker for your clients. And it's a good marker for your own availability. And sometimes we can linger or our clients can linger at the end of sessions asking more questions or we can be trying to give more evidence for the value of this or you know, we could be kind of negotiating lots of different nuances of the process and such things that really would be more accurate and more appropriate inside the context of the session hour and for the protection of future sessions so that a client that has the tendency to want to linger isn't encouraged to linger every session, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh session to where by the eighth or ninth or 10th session, it's problematic for you as the practitioner that you have this pattern that now has a weirdness to it because how are you going to change it? Because now if you change it, then what does that say about what you did before? And maybe you don't like this person and that wasn't what you were trying to say at all because really what just needed to happen was nobody needed to overstay at the beginning. So, Yes, that's a place where you have to claim your authority and say, okay, this is the, the limit of the session. And it's definitely a place to help move people along, help them engage the rest of their lives outside of your hour and for you to come back into what else it is that you have to attend to next. So we're looking to get clear on various different choice points on, do we want to stay here longer? Do we want to move on? We're looking for the various different ways of presentation and language that will both encourage the right dose, people to just 
hang out with this a little bit longer and some of that might be very calculated before it finally just drops into the way that it is and everybody's interested in what's happening there and other ways to help by various different levels of intensity and force and direction and question invitation all the way over to direct. I'm telling you, we've got to move on now all the way over to keeping things moving forward. There's this whole range of how we communicate. Let's linger more. Let's hang out more. You're going to play with all of that. And as you do your authority, your authority to make those choices and to make those interventions will come to pass. It'll be great. Your sessions will have so much rhythm in them. You guys will be just sitting there. Things will be waving back and forth, swinging in and out. It'll be grand. And all the while, I'll be wishing you the very, very, very best out there. Okay, this is Twig. You take care now. Bye-bye. And here's a tracking twig moment for episode 93. I was on the SETI website, Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute's website, traumahealing.org. Oh my goodness, have you been there lately? Whoa, it's like beautiful. It's actually kind of mind-boggling how beautiful it is. It's It's like a huge refinement. You know, they say in web development that people don't like change. I think... I think we're going to like this change. Whoever did that, oh my goodness, it looks so good. I was totally shocked and inspired and and really pleased. It was great. Super easy to find all you practitioner people out there because too many people ask me for referrals. And so I go there, I look for you all, and it's good when I find you there. Okay, anyway, that's that.